0: We talked about this boasts an eclectic rotating panel of hosts who join me each episode. And these guests range with different genders, ages, backgrounds, and countries. But one thing they have in common is that they're friends of the show. Joining me today, both from Tokyo, is Justin. Say hello, Justin. Hello, Justin. (laughs) This is Justin's third appearance on the show. I believe so. And uh, also joining from Tokyo is Salim. Salim, loyal listener, self-proclaimed fan of the show. (laughs) Returns for the second time. Welcome back, Salim. Happy to be back on the podcast. Now, I don't want this show to be about politics. Uh, I've always tried to avoid that, but um, it it tends to take us down a a rabbit trail of despair, (laughs) I'll call it, especially recent American politics. But I do want to just quickly ask you, did you watch the inauguration of Joe Biden and and if there's a general feeling yet in Japan how this new president will affect things in your country?
1: Personally, I, I watched a little bit of the highlights. Uh, obviously, we couldn't really avoid catching a lot of the, the memes and things that came off of it, uh, specifically around yeah. people like Bernie Sanders and what he wore to the Inauguration, And not just him, several others. It, it appeared that fashion was definitely on the top of a lot of people's minds in a lot of the highlights that I saw, which is great. That yeah. means that we're not focused on the absolute <laughs> burning bag of dog turd <laughs> that that, yeah. that it, it seemed like previous events have, have captivated attention in a very different way. So uh, the only thing I could say from a local standpoint, I, I did see some of the conservative – Papers here immediately pivoting to Joe Biden's age and anxiety mm. about his health and age, which I found kind of comical. Considering if you look at most of the DA, there he would probably be in the middle in terms of age of some of the what's be- DA? Sorry, uh, the the Japanese Parliament. Oh, the de- de- diet or diet, diet or DA? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, please.
0: Oh, I'm sure yeah. you're pronouncing no, I, it I, right. I, but it looks I, like diet. Yeah. And I remember when I was in Japan, I saw the diet building or something. And I thought, would they dedicate an entire building to, like, health and I th- I fitness? I think it's diet. I mean, yeah. It, it probably well, yeah, is diet. Because I'm you diet. also have, um, you know,
2: when they talk about a government, they might say, like, you know, the, you know, Biden regime, right? And, uh, and regime could, is, is another word for diet as well.
0: You know, diet being, you know, losing weight diet. So, I don't know why.
2: I don't know why <laughs> oh, right. that is.
0: But, yeah. Interesting. Okay. How about you Salim, what's your take on it from well, where you um, sit?
2: I wasn't able to watch it live. It was it um, was play, playing at 2 a.m. um J- Japanese standard time, so it was pretty uh, pretty late at night, but I did catch the highlights the next day and I I was, uh, you know, actually eager to see to see the highlights, see what see what was going on. Uh the inauguration is always a is a is a big event, right? In in the political calendar and um you know, personally I'm also a bit relieved uh, that things have finally calmed down in the u s uh and uh, yeah. you know, the previous administration was just it was just all you know a lot right it was there was just always a lot going on and i feel like um you know with uh, with this new biden admi- administration, things will go back to a bit of um normality which is uh which is nice you know people can i think a lot of people will be sighing a breath of relief.
0: Yeah, I think that was the emotion I had when I was watching it. I for us it was I think around 11:30 in the morning and I was I just had it on in the on the side as I was working and that was what I felt was just relief from all the the noise and all the the BS that has been going on with with it and just bringing some class back to the office of the president to me I think is hopefully the the best thing that comes from this is and i you know i said to a friend the other day that with with a certain amount of coaching and advice for trump which of course he i'm sure received lots of probably early on and and ignored <laughs> all yeah. of it i think with a certain if he had followed some of that i think he would have probably been reelected but then again maybe not maybe the the base that he has would have not followed him as closely if he was different. If he was more of a kind of classy guy in that in that position, so it's so hard Absolutely, to say. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, considering
2: that he still got, I think, like seventy-four million votes, that's significant. Yeah, I mean, right. I think it's more than any other Republican uh, president in history or Republican candidate in history. So you know, that's that's a feat in and of itself and uh you know maybe a lot of people say in the sort of in the news media that um if if covid hadn't happened he would have had a pretty good chance of being uh, reelected so you know the outcome is the outcome yeah. but in any case i'm just uh i'm just happy
0: it's all uh, done and over with agreed well moving on from that we have our first topic so, what do you do? it's a it's a classic question most people ask or get asked when they meet someone for the first time and is it a trite expression? Is it too personal? Why do we ask it? and what are we hoping to gain by asking it? Is it just because we have nothing more original to ask? Salim, you, you brought this table, brought this topic to the table. what so what made you choose this for discussion today? Yeah,
2: so I mean, I was thinking about obviously um, things to talk about on the on the podcast today, and and one of the things that that came up was a question that was I was actually asked recently uh, when I was meeting someone new, and um, and that was you know what do you do for a living? And you know I, I answered the question of course, and it's it's perfectly fine. It wasn't in the context of, of work, right? So um, it wasn't the person I was meeting for uh, work or business. And and then I just thought you know. If you're meeting someone for the first time and you want to get to know them, is asking what they do for a living a good question, right? I mean, what does that, what does what you do for a living say about you as a person? And arguably it could say a lot, right? I mean, people, there are people who, um, whose work is their passion, right? Um, and I work in the insurance industry. I'm not saying that insurance is not my passion, but, (laughs) um, are you saying it is um, your passion? Yeah, I am passionate about what I do. <laughs> um, Good. But, you know, if, if you were, uh, it, I don't know, if you were an artist or a musician, I, I imagine that's that's definitely something that you're passionate about and, and you do for a living a as pilot. well. A pilot. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was just thinking, in, in I think many cases, it what I do doesn't really say anything about me or maybe it does. Uh, we also do spend well, a, a third of our of our waking adult life uh, in our jobs, right? So it's obviously a lot of time spent uh, working.
0: so you know it, it's 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 a relevant question, but that's a good point. yeah what what we do is yeah, what we're doing for as you third as you said a significant time waking hours are spent doing this, doing something, so, when you ask someone, what do they do, yeah, I guess it's a pretty relevant question, Uh, but to me, the the question is just so completely unoriginal and boring. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And where I first came across this criticism of this question was when I was single, and I was reading, like, books, dating advice material. (laughs) And one of the things they said in this one particular person that was giving advice was do not ask that question Mm -hmm. when you meet someone for the first time. If you're hoping to uh, have a romantic result that there's nothing more boring than (laughs) the typical question that is usually the first or second question that you ask someone. So, what do you do? It's just yeah. such an unoriginal, boring question, followed by, so, tell me about your family. Where are you from? Kind of falls into that same <laughs> right, category. Yeah, That's where questions. I first I first saw it was in, if you're going to meet someone, especially a female that you're hoping to have a romantic relationship with, what do you do is one of the most unromantic or unoriginal <laughs> things you can possibly bring to the table when you first meet someone.
1: Yeah. Well, you're basically expecting them to do all the heavy lifting in the conversation by asking Mm -hmm. a question like that, right? If you're not actually actively engaging them and saying, what brings you here tonight? Or how do you know such and such? Or, you know, why did you move to this city? Why did you choose here? If you're not actually engaging them at who they are at a base level, Mm -hmm. you're not going to get anywhere with them anyways.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, the conversation really won't it could it could obviously if if the person is a really engaging person they can they can try to ask a little bit more about your career but often it's a it's a pretty dead-end question um of course it just it it does depend but what are better questions that i mean i want to ask you guys what are better questions to ask someone for the first time when you want to get to know them
0: hmm that's a good one (laughs) i I think i boy well one of my th- my rules is to just not start with that question, so once I slide that out of the way mm. and keep it in the back of my mind as and it's not like it's not going to come up. I figure it could come up, and when it does come up, it just is going to come up i i just I just try to ask anything but that, and so it just seems to come out I just talk about maybe if it's sports and there's something on the TV some people might roll their eyes and say oh god well that's you know, what's so original <laughs> about that but yeah i just try to have a, a conversation with somebody without starting with that question and and i feel cuz here's something that came to mind when you brought this up i worked with a guy whose wife was a exotic dancer and <laughs> okay this was, this was 15 years ago, I was working for an insurance company, and I was a bit more conservative even than I am today in a lot of ways. And I was always paranoid that when we were out together, either with colleagues or externally, that we, who we were with were going to ask the question, like, what do you do? And then you get into, if his wife came up, it's like, oh, so what does your wife do? I was always so afraid of that topic coming up and him answering that in front of clients or in front of (laughs) colleagues, because I just didn't know how they were going to react to it. And I don't know, call me shallow, but that was something that was always a concern for me was Mm. if he had to bring that up. And I'll tell you a quick story. So, him and my boss, and this would have been his boss too, like his boss, yeah. my, his boss's, his boss's boss, they went, they drove on a car, a car ride to a social event that we were, we did an offsite at this resort and it so happened they lived fairly close to each other. So, he took a ride up to this resort with my boss's boss. Yeah. And I thought in the hour and 40 minutes that this car ride is going <laughs> to, going to take, how that question won't come up? Oh yeah, it's bound to. It, and I remember, I think I just asked him. So how did it go? And so what did you guys talk about? So oh, yeah, we talked about pretty much everything. And I think I somehow he mentioned that he talked about his wife. And I said, so uh, what did you say she did? <laughs> and he said, oh, I told her she told him she was a photographer, <laughs> which actually was not incorrect. Oh, she did she do photography. Well. So in my mind, I was always like. Can you just say that when you answer the question?
1: <laughs> I guess nowadays it would be an OnlyFans account, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. uh it's it's uh, yeah. So what do you do? Yeah. I just to me it's just such an unoriginal question and and yeah, what there is a difference. Like if you're a, a pilot or you're a race car driver or an actor that question at a party just has a much different impact but i wonder if people who are those things also hate that question mm. because I, I
2: i imagine i mean they have to once they do answer it you know the the reaction is is maybe fairly typical uh you know amongst all the people who um who ask the questions like oh you're a pilot you know oh that's cool you get to travel all around the world wow um Mm. at at the same time i I really don't like being asked that question because it's there aren't a lot of people out there who are passionate about insurance and um it's it you know often the uh the conversation just gets you know my answer just gets a bit of a a blank stare oh insurance (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) end of conversation
0: um but <laughs> well the Just, advice I got early in my career was when you're at a party, never say you're an insurance because it will immediately gravitate to well, I have I have two cars and a house <laughs> and I know that I'm paying more than my neighbor right. and I don't understand why. Can you help me with that?
1: Yeah. Right. They want the instant quote. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> or you get the times. other or you get the other piece, which is Oh, you guys, you know, I had a claim last year where my auto insurance company refused to pay for this. And uh, you guys are a bunch of scammers. You make all kinds of money and they're big, tall buildings with your fountains outside. (laughs) You you guys are just like screwing everybody. That's the other direction it, it can often take.
1: Yeah. I mean, except when you need me. Exactly. Except when you need me.
2: Justin, what do you think? I mean, what's a what's a good uh, uh,
1: in, yeah? I mean, intro question. I think a lot of people kind of defer to a version of the "you come here often" type of question, <laughs> which is which is essentially the okay. That's the, the granddaddy, the, right? But that's but that's what people go to. They go to a variation of that, right? They go to oh, do you come to these gallery things all the time? Or, oh, do you, do you come to dinner parties with such and such all the time? So it's like a variation of the, you come here often. But to your question, I guess it really depends on who I'm engaging with and, and why I'm there. Am I there to socialize? Am I there because I'm amongst friends? Am I there because I'm seeking a potential date? You know, as Clark was mentioning before. Um, in all cases, I try to lead with empathy. So, I try to engage with the person and what they're appearing to be engaged with. Mm. Are they engaged with the event themsel- itself? Are they engaged with people that are putting on the event? Are they engaged or are they completely disengaged? You know, that's something that, that's easy to engage with as well. You know, it's oh, like, like this that. is just an absolute mess, isn't it? You know, yeah. that type of thing. And, and you can poke fun at it and just have fun with that for a couple minutes. That's dangerous though, too, because if the person's overly negative, now you've just been sucked into something. Yeah. But, or if they're the event I, organizer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you look sure. pretty bored.
0: Sure. 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 That's a, that's You're a good at house early party and, and you yep.
2: accidentally tell, tell the host this, this party sucks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what about the Japanese? Is this a question that Japanese ask each other in the, in their culture? Is this a question that is part of the Japanese culture? all the time yeah
2: i get it all the time
1: justin what about you do you do you do you get it
2: fairly often oh yeah oh yeah Right.
1: yeah, yeah. sure sure yeah i mean i would say i'd say with japanese friends and colleagues it's probably even more so because mm. it's just it's a more comfortable entryway oh yeah uh, into a discussion it's an yeah, easy question to up, ask yeah 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 um but yeah all the time all the time i i I think I kind of alluded to this before we jumped on to, to the call and the, and the podcast itself that, you know, depending on where you live, there's those questions are, are very loaded questions. The, the questions can be about, you know, where you live, what kind of living you're making for yourself, mm-hmm. um, how successful you are, um, how eligible you are uh, for them, for someone else, or it, whether you're worth their time some cases so and you're saying I, that about i find those
0: japanese in general or just in general
1: oh just in general i mean and kind of more major markets right major metropolises you know there there can be that much more aggressive tone to that question uh, where there's a it's very purposeful so what do it's you very, do yeah <laughs> are you worth my time yeah or should i should i be bothering to engage with you and vice versa like okay so long you know that that's that's the limit i i we're leading with this and there's very purposeful a, around why you're leading with this i have no interest in engaging with you beyond this where's the bar <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean there there's you know, a lot of importance uh put on status in japan as well right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i think it's one of the reasons why it's it's all the more common you know to to ask that question and be asked that question in japan uh because status is is quite important right and uh it, it's not just limited to yourself right uh i mean i've gotten asked what my wife does plenty of times as well
0: mm-hmm. yeah not an exotic yeah. dancer though
2: no she's not an exotic dancer now, unfortunately or fortunately
0: Alright, so what about a product or a service you're currently using? I uh, We take a bit of time each segment, usually, or each show to talk about a product or a service and I, for one, am enjoying the use of polygon resistance bands. These are resistance bands for working out. i had been looking for adjustable dumbbells for quite some time and they're super expensive. I don't know if you've ever looked into it, but I was looking at a pair of Bowflex dumbbells, $800, like crazy. What? I just thought they were simple looking, and I didn't want something that took up a lot of space, (laughs) and Justin's nodding his head, no way on the Bowflex adjustable dumbbells. So, I got these resistance bands at the advice of a friend, and I love them. Like, these, they take up no space, you have them in little bags, I've got a couple different types, and I've been using them, I've used them while I'm working. Like doing a meeting. I was listening to a meeting the other day and I'm I'm doing these like stretches. I wasn't on camera of course, but I, I had it rigged up here. I was doing them just listening to the, the meeting and thought wow this is this is perfect. So polygon resistance bands, I'll put a note in the show notes. How about you guys? Justin, you want to go first?
1: Sure. Yeah. From a product standpoint, something that I've been using more frequently, not just recently, but just the last few years has been Twitter. Twitter is my go-to. It is my search engine. It is my collection of journalists and uh, a certain amount of my network here in Japan as well. Mm. It's been something that I, I cultivated and put some attention to a few years back. And the people on there have been tremendously resourceful in terms of everything from getting someone to come in and Fix something like a tradesperson to a doctor, a dentist, something for my kids, really. So something to deal with schooling, anything in between, and it, it helps because you know I have this group of maybe two to three hundred people that are are always really tied into things around Tokyo and Japan in general, and they can spit back information or send me to other people that are really really helpful. And it cuts down all the research time and everything else and getting actual reviews, in essence, from people. They have no problem in being very clear. You know, one person says, well, what about this doctor? And three other people say, oh, no, terrible experience there with this, this, this and this. And in other cases, it's four or five people chiming in and saying, no, actually, you should talk to this teacher or talk to this specialist if you have this need for your child or for something else. And it's been a great resource uh, professionally, personally. It's I. I can say that Twitter can be an absolute cesspool, but it also can be extremely entertaining and extremely helpful, especially if you're somebody who's living in a market that's not necessarily your native market. And there are people who are very open to helping each other because it can be isolating for everybody. So I think with that in mind, it's been great for me and a lot of the people that are part of that kind of few hundred people that always are exchanging with each other. That's that's
0: really
2: incredible. I mean, I've never...
0: I've never actually heard of anyone using Twitter like that. No. Are these are these private messages or are they public forum? Like anybody can see these this dialogue that goes back and forth?
1: It's pretty public. I mean on some occasions, you know, there's there's topic or, you know, something that would be easier to share on privately. You know, like let's say one of the people one of the people in this general network is asking a question about needing a lawyer for something you may want to take that privately you know if there's something around investments or otherwise that someone is kind of starting to kind of play with and and seek more advice on then that may go private as well because the person may be sharing reports or information to help them kind of think think those things through so you know it's you don't have the full conversation in public but a lot of times it's a fair amount of the input coming back and forth. And sometimes you're getting 20 to 30 responses from these different people. It's very, very helpful. And these are all people, you know, some of them I've met in real life. Some of them I actually have met in real life over the last, say three to five years. Uh, I would say I count on three or four of them to be good friends. Uh, Some of which actually found out live not far away and others lived much farther away and, or have left Japan and returned yeah it it's a pretty wide variety of people wide variety of ages cultures backgrounds sex gender hmm. how about you so some of them have actually ended up marrying each other
2: <laughs> that's amazing that's really yeah. interesting yeah. um i've got a podcast that I wanted to quickly talk about now caveat though i haven't listened to the whole thing it's a it's like a series. Um, and I haven't listened to the whole thing, so I can't, uh, give a final report on it, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's called the rabbit hole and it's, um, it's from the New York times. It's a 10 part series, maybe eight. Um, and it talks about the internet, you know, to put it in one word and, uh, more specifically, uh, social media and, uh, talks about YouTube in, in a bit of detail as well and how, uh, YouTube and, and kind of social media, uh, began and, and how an element of an, an element of it is, um, you know, is, has been quite sinister almost in the sense of, of how the algorithm behind YouTube, for instance, uh, Made it that uh, you know, if someone was watching something, uh, they the suggested videos would be of of a similar nature, right? So therefore, reinforcing someone's uh, let's say, if it if it's talking about politics, for instance, reinforcing someone's existing existing views about something, uh, you know, may, and maybe even pushing someone towards uh, towards the extreme. Uh, now, like I said, I haven't finished the whole thing, so I can't really talk about this in, in too much detail, but it's, um, it's really interesting, and uh, it, every episode is about 30 minutes. I think it's eight in total, uh, and uh, I'd, I'd recommend anyone to, to take a listen if, um, you know, if and when you've got the time to do so.
0: Okay, boys and their toys. Are boys naturally drawn to guns, cars, and camouflage and manly things? How much influence do parents, peers, and general culture have on this? We, at least in North American culture, we dress our baby boys in blue, our baby girls in pink. We paint the baby room in the same colors. Justin, this was your topic. Tell us why you wanted to talk about this today.
1: I guess this kind of came from a, a bit of a nature versus nurture type of conversation. There are elements of this that I've observed in my own children and in other children that have always intrigued me. I've always taken it very clearly that whenever I experience media or even shopping for that matter, that there are certain imagery and there's also certain ways in which that we present products that are a little bit specific to gender. If you walk into a Target or a Walmart, And you go into the clothing section and you go into the boys section. It's all Marvel characters and superheroes and military-related imagery. And when you go to the girls' side, it's all pink and princesses Mm. and unicorns and everything frilly. So, obviously, we perpetuate this in some way, shape, or form in culture and in the way that we expect our children to dress or at least in mass consuming ways expect them to dress or consume things but it made me start to kind of question how much of this is nature how much of this is nurture and what kind of things are boys and girls drawn to there was a period long ago when i was a child where there was a a very popular i believe child psychologist who wrote a book named dr uh, it was by a dr spock not to be confused with Spock from Star Trek and part of the concept was basically allowing your children to experience both versions of what would be considered gender norm and give your son a doll, you know, give your daughter uh, a Nerf gun or, you know, a play gun and see how they have comfort interpret it and desire that, that item as something that is part of their identity. My parents tried that with me and it didn't work. I, Took the doll and I threw it in the toilet. <laughs> but I don't I don't know if at that stage had I already seen enough, experienced enough that would make me inclined to do that. I, I don't know if that was just natural. I, I don't have a point of reference for that. I saw with my own older boy, by the time he could actually form sentences, he was just constantly talking about cars. He was always spotting luxury vehicles far down the road. He could see the lights. Oh, that's a Porsche. That's Mm. a Ferrari. That's a this, that's a that. And he learned those cars very quickly. He always wanted to look at those cars. He found them attractive. He found specifically high end cars, which is dangerous, (laughs) uh, attractive. But later, you know, he liked looking at military trucks and all these different things because he just got more and more engaged in that. Now, was that an entry point because his dad was interested? in vehicles and cars? Is that because I like certain refined things or is that naturally what he was doing? Was it an engagement point for him? So uh, I'll leave it as a kind of a jumping off point because I know I'm kind of diverting here specifically to the automotive side, but manly things, boy things, what we identify as being uh as strong as a boy should be, quote unquote, I'm putting quotes up in the air. Some of those things are fairly antiquated, and those are things maybe not even a generation, but maybe two generations before us where that kind of language would be used with little boys and girls. And I think we're moving away from that, but at the same time, the consumption and the imagery and everything else still reflects an old way. So I'm interested in your thoughts and your experiences and what you observe.
0: Well, I have two kids, a boy and a girl, and so I see, I I often wondered about this. I remember reading an article a few years ago about a person, or a a, a couple, that was going to raise their kid in a gender-neutral way. And this was probably 10 years ago, where this was not as open a topic as it is today, the the whole gender and, and neutral and, and all uh, pronouns mm. and things that are being talked about these days. And I often want, so they said they were going to dress the child in just neutral clothing, not pink, not blue, and not really even discuss things like what you're saying, like putting a, a Nerf gun in their hand or having a dollhouse for, if it's a girl and a GI Joe layout in-the-bedroom toys, Marvel characters. They were just going to raise this child in a kind of a gender-neutral way. And there was a lot of controversy around this, that you're going to screw up this kid's identity if they don't know what they are. I don't think they were actually saying that they wouldn't say whether the child was a boy or a girl or not, but there was a lot of controversy around how this was going to screw up this kid's life. And I remember, so I've kind of kept, an uh, I've been looking at, Things like what my daughter and my son gravitate to. There is no doubt. My daughter loves pink. She loves princesses. She she's totally into that. And we at one point and purposely so never tried to steer her in a direction like that. Because going back to what you were just saying, there are there is some of that that goes on. This steering and whether it's by commercial like toy makers or or the advertising, but I, we always just tried to keep a hands-off approach to what they would be interested in. Now, hockey, my son, I definitely hoped he would take up hockey and enjoy hockey and baseball, my two favorite sports. And he does like those sports, but it's same with women, women and babies. Like you see girls carrying around bait, like dolls you mentioned, but my daughter definitely has an affinity for picking up a doll and carrying it. She picks up our cat all the time and holds it like a baby. And you can tell she's like looking forward to the day when she can be a mother. And I don't see my son do that sort of thing. And we've never pushed that at all. So I think it is both it's nature and nurture, but I think a lot of it's nature. I think you, you are, or you aren't. And when you hold a baby and the way you don't you can't just be influenced to talk to a baby like a doll like the way she talks i think this is just something in her nature yeah i mean it's definitely both right
2: it's a bit, it's definitely both nature and nurture yeah it's it's difficult i mean i i'm i'm also i don't have kids of my own but um i'd certainly want to raise them in a in a fairly neutral fashion i mean i don't want to steer uh my i, w- I wouldn't want to steer my kids in, in one direction or the other they should pick up whatever they feel um he or she they whatever you know they feel that they want to gravitate towards and i think that's that's fine um ultimately i feel like whatever environment that they're put in will will affect them in, in one way shape or form right i mean I guess if it's if it's a girl and and she's a girl and and mom's obviously a, you know a girl, they 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 can relate to that, right? I mean, and human beings in their nature, they just want to relate to to things that they have in common with with other people, right? So if we're both girls and and, and mom t- was taking care of you know mom women were taking care of babies, then you know I as a girl want to take care of my own you know baby doll. Uh, so I guess that you know. It, the environment molds uh molds kids in in that kind of way uh for for me personally i guess i don't i don't necessarily recall my parents or, or grandparents you know directing me either in, in any in, in any way i didn't like action figures for instance as a thing but you know i didn't necessarily like dolls either so i, I mean the whole concept of having, you know, plastic things that are shaped as humans was was always pretty (laughs) freaky to me (laughs) to begin with. Um, I I loved machines and, um, you know, I guess typical, I guess, you know, uh, air quotes, boy things, right? I I loved cars. I loved machines, planes, ships, Lego, uh, you know, you name it. That's that's kind of what I was into. And uh, I don't necessarily think that I was steered in that direction, but it's what I naturally just gravitated towards and um yeah i guess you know i guess there's there's a reason why for instance there aren't many uh women in in the fields of like science and engineering for instance even though you know there's a concerted effort from a lot of governments uh, and universities now to you know bring more you know have have a little bit more uh, gender equilibrium in in those fields from from what i understand it's it's a little bit difficult right because I guess often women don't necessarily, or, you know, the majority of women maybe don't necessarily gravitate towards those fields as, uh, as men do. I don't know, you know, what the science is behind that. Um, obviously what I'm saying is also um, anecdotal. I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have, you know, data or statistics uh, behind what I'm saying right now. And, and, and it's just from what I read, but you know, I guess it's, it's just human nature in, in a way. Right. And, yeah, you know, I'm, one thing I, I definitely don't like is forcing, for, forcing concepts, forcing ideas, forcing anything onto anyone. People should just be able to kind of do whatever they like, in my opinion, right? I and, agree. If, and if kids want to gravitate towards something, then so be it. Let let them do so.
0: So I had a, okay two things. I had a, I had a story I wanted to share around this where I was picking up my daughter or my son, I think it was my son, I don't think my daughter was born at the time, I went to the, the daycare to pick him up, and there was a, a boy who was there, and his father was also coming to pick him up. And the boy had a purse on his shoulder, and he walked up to his dad and said, Hey, Dad. And his, the father was immediately like, What are you doing with that? Put that down. Boys don't play with purses. And I just remember being so disappointed To see that, because the kid clearly was enjoying having this purse on, and was excited about it, and just to be totally, like, put in his place, I guess, by this father, that this isn't what boys do. They don't play with dogs. It it was just so disappointing to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it happens a lot. I think a lot of people get very scared because they don't know how to handle the situation, and... Whatever programming they went through when they were an adolescent kind of rares up a bit too. But and what is that reaction? In most a to
0: kid too. You know, like,
1: well, it, it's just a lot of times parents who react like that aren't really that equipped in general because they don't lead with questions and engagement; they lead more with statements and accusations. Yeah
0: yeah
1: so you know if they if they work through it it may not be that right like i i've had experience with one of my sons saying like oh i really like such and such he's my boyfriend Mm. and going oh well what do you mean he's my friend and he's a boy and i'm really close to him and i really like playing with him and i really like hanging out with him he's my boyfriend i said okay and kind of working through like what it is he's actually saying not in reacting to it not responding to it in yeah. any way that maybe i conceptualize or society conceptualizes it's just that's just the way he was labeling it because he really likes this person and he's opening up to someone. But
0: would you clarify okay. for him how boyfriend might be perceived if he if he uses that word how that could be perceived
1: Right. So when we talk through it, he starts to kind of work through and he says, well, actually, you know, he's not my boyfriend. He's a friend that's a boy. And I know that like a girlfriend, a boyfriend or somebody that you care about. So like he gets to that point eventually, like kind of talking through it. And if he didn't and I felt like there was a gap that needed to be filled, sure, I could. But then at the other side of it is, you know considering his age and everything else, I'm not overthinking. Yeah. It's more, it's, it's just completely coming from a place of innocence. It's not coming from a place of having to fit in a box or having to be labeled or anything. Otherwise it's just language. It's just the language that he's using in that moment. Um, could him using that word have an effect in a public setting and someone responding to it do boys do kids bully each other because of how they misinterpret or misunderstand things absolutely all of those things happen but i find so much of my role is just getting him to be comfortable with who he is and giving him strength in that and helping him understand how to navigate and translate the world that he's engaging in more than anything Everything else will fall into place over time. I try not to overthink that or make him overthink that. I just try to give him the strength to be confident in who he is. Something
0: that I, I just, one thing my wife says a lot is her disappointment in Lego as, if, as it affects mm. girls that yes, when you look by Lego sets or look for Lego sets for girls, like I just Googled it now, Lego for girls. There's a lot of pink and purple coming up here. You know, it's, lego friendship bus you know, it's half of its pink barbie B- dream house lego oh no this is just dream house not lego um lego friends, friends friendship house lego goes to the to, it's a cafe lots of pink and purple about but, girls serving
2: coffee and que- food question though are they labeling that as Lego for girls? Is that like the official labeling? Because I, no. I thought Lego was pretty gender neutral. Well. It, I mean, obviously, you know, in, <laughs> without saying it, I, I imagine it is more, you know, it's geared towards girls. But is that the official labeling?
0: No, no, it isn't. I mean, Lego Friends, I see that here on the boxes. I just see a, a, an inordinate, a, a large amount of purple and pink on all these boxes. And they all seem to be geared towards friendship, fashion, doll houses. There's a couple of Harry Potter things, which may be the closest they come to kind of going neutral, but fair amount of, you know, Wonder Woman, Lego for girls, Wonder Woman. Uh, There's, here's a girl carrying a a little platter with a whole bunch of cupcakes on it. Like, these are all things that have, you know, there's nothing about, science, or or, there's some doctor stuff here, like nursing, though, nurse, you know, things like that. So, when we had an advent calendar that was a Lego advent calendar that my wife bought for the two kids, and yeah, all the things coming out of there pretty much were boy-related or uh, guy-related
1: And you have two two kids, one of each, and you've had the experience on both sides. And I'm sure you've noticed during periods of this as well that there are a lot of products, not just toys, but clothing as well, that a lot of times are priced at a premium for girls. They're actually more expensive in certain cases for girls than they are for boys. And sometimes they're actually very similar items. It may be a pair of jeans for boys that's, you know, 12, 15 bucks at, you know, Carter's and the girls' ones are 18 for mm-hmm. some random reason. And there's been a lot of stuff written about the premium that's put on, on children's products, toys, clothing, and otherwise, sometimes for girls that's higher than boys. So what are we saying? Are we saying that we're going to make less of a focus on things that are for a female-gendered identifying individual's preference? And by that, by that factor, we're saying there's less of a, quote-unquote, demand, and we're pricing it differently.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting topic. It can go in a few different directions, I think. Um, but let's move on. This episode is brought to you by Pace Painting. Pace Painting, serving all your painting needs, whether commercial or residential, Reach Pace Painting at paintwithpace at gmail.com or via their Facebook page, Pace Painting, Inc. Or call Peter at 289-356-7744. Paint with Pace. Well, let's finish up with uh, our strange news, strange facts uh- I think it's fair to say that the Japanese culture, it occasionally brings us some unique stories, customs, traditions, and even on a couple of previous episodes, I know Paul and I talked about robot wolves that were installed in northern Japan to ward off bears from entering the town. But today, Justin, you found something you wanted to talk about. I'll I'll just hand it over to you.
1: In Japan, mascots are, are quite a popular figure or even figurehead for a lot of different products, different locations, or in this case, prisons. So in an attempt to soften the image of some of these correctional facilities, they have started to bring in these very bright, happy, and colorful mascots to represent some of these prisons. One specifically, as an example, is Katakuri-chan. Katakuri-chan is a prison warden with a giant purple flower for hair and is the mascot of the Ashikawa prison. I mentioned specifically Katakuri-chan because Katakuri-chan was actually featured on Last Week Tonight, the weekly show on HBO by comedian John Oliver. I can't remember exactly why they featured her, but the reason that I bring her up is because this specific prison was in trouble for its often harsh and inhumane treatment of their inmates. So the hopes were that Katakuri-chan and many of the other prisons' hopes with bringing in mascots is to kind of soften or make the visual a bit more approachable. Now, one would hope to avoid being in prison in general, yeah. and there are certain countries that are kind of well known for being a bit rough. There's certain Southeast Asian or Latin American countries that are known for having very, very tough systems. Turkish system. prison. Italy as well, is known for being very, very Egypt, rough. Egypt, my home country. Yeah. There you go. Yes. I, I, actually, you know what? Let me take all of that back. The only place that I could say that are known for having halfway human, humane or decent prisons are Norwegian and Scandinavian mm. countries. It seems like a lot of them work on the rehabilitatory factor there. They're trying to work towards skill building and they're trying to work for on the, the human level and getting these people to correct behaviors that led to where they are with that caveat, Japan specifically loves mascots, loves to not talk about the actual thing, but use the mascot to talk about the thing. And using another example, uh, just to kind of show how much of a uh, association Japan has with it. There is a location, Miyoko City, where they have colon-chan and colon-chan is promoting colon cancer screenings. So if you dress it up nicely and Give it some nice colors and walk it through the the neighborhood. The intent is to both soften and also bring attention to the location or what, in this case, something that you want to have taken care of. There are thousands, if not tens of thousands of mascots that represent everything from city wards to schools and everything in between. And if you're very interested in this type of thing, I would definitely suggest checking out Mondomascots.com. Clark can put that in the notes as well. M-O-N-D-O, mascots.com. There is an immense fascination with mascots here and to some effect, it does help, but to others, I don't. I don't know if, if you're in one of these prisons, you really much care for the fact that there's trying to put lipstick on that pig. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I just googled Japanese mascots, and um, I came up with an article "The Five Five of the Most Terrifying Japanese Mascots." Japan's Yuru Chara is that what you call uh, a mascot Yurkena. in Japan? Yeah. Yes. Um, and yes, there's some incredibly scary and bizarre looking mascots here. There's even one with Matt Damon standing next to one that actually doesn't look that scary, but um, I noticed in the prison mask, I mean, okay, so what's the point of this? Does it actually, I wonder if a prisoner looks at that and actually feels, okay, yeah, all right, life is tough. I, I, I'm, it's horrible I'm in this prison, but I now feel a sense of relief when I, and compassion when I look at this mascot. If
2: I were in a Japanese prison and I saw one of those mascots, it'd probably be the other way around.
0: <laughs> Want to tear the head off it and go crazy on it, or <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's like, oh man, this sucks.
1: Yes, yeah, save the money on the mascot and uh, protect me from getting shivved in the shower. I think is probably the thought
0: in Japanese prisons. Hmm. I mean, that's the very much of an American perspective is that the whole shiv in the shower is that. Are Japanese prisons also dangerous places for? what could happen to you from other prisoners?
2: Japanese prisons are a black hole. Um, not a lot of information comes out of there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, to Justin's point, I mean, earlier, uh, I mean, there are a lot of countries where you wouldn't want to uh, be in prison, but Japan is definitely one of them. And, uh, you know, yeah. We can talk forever about uh, mm-hmm. you know, the criminal justice system in Japan, which is pretty terrible um, and, uh, and pretty arcane. But, yeah, Japanese this prisoners... To point.
1: I mean, every time the UN tries to come in and do a review of human rights here in Japan, they get rebuffed. So, you know, it's not just the prisons that are black hole. Even when independent authorities are, are being tasked with coming in here to come in, the government's doing an, a great job at keeping them out as well so there's there's no reality we have no sense of how things are Uh, and i would think most people who've been in prison are too afraid to actually share
0: yeah i i think that would probably surprise a lot of people from outside japan you know when i remember when i was reading uh, when i was first knew i was going to move to tokyo i was reading some books and websites about what it's like to be in japan and they did talk very much about you don't want to get in trouble by the police in Japan. That and that surprised me. I mean, you don't want to get in trouble by the police anywhere. But I thought you know, Japan Japanese are polite, they're nice. That the prison that, that, that would extend to the police as well. That it would you'd be looked after in a very polite and and humane way. And so hearing some of the stories about prisons in Japan and the police in general in Japan was somewhat surprising to me. And I think it would surprise a lot of people that don't know much about Japan. I think if you're thinking about countries where you wouldn't want to end up in jail, you say, Salim, it's, you'd put Japan near the top of the list. It's I don't think that would be the general feeling by most people out from outside of Japan. Yeah, I mean, then again,
2: I've never been to a Japanese prison before, so I can't really
0: say firsthand. Do <laughs> you think it might just be, you hear, it's, all wor- it's worse than it maybe really is, or... I think there's enough information out there. To or the perception it's, is it's, worse than. I mean, the
2: perception as well. But there's still enough information out there to, for you know, a reasonable person to make a a judgment and say it's pretty. I mean, it's pretty horrible. I mean, conditions in, in Japanese prisons are pretty terrible. Well, Justin, I mean, they might be.
0: Yeah, yeah, Justin, you t- you mentioned that um, as a foreigner, when you mm-hmm. end up if you end up in jail or in custody of the mm-hmm. police that. There's something, like, they can charge you with, like, one crime at a time and hold you for, what, 23 Mm -hmm. days, and then they can charge you another for the next crime and continue to hold you. And I
1: remember... But that's not unique to foreigners. I mean, I want to be fair. That's not... There's an extra leverage point there with foreigners, obviously, especially if you have a family, right? Because then they can separate you from your family, separate you from your job, and now you're over a barrel. And if your spouse is getting pressure from their family, you could likely end up being divorced and there's no custody right, no visitation necessarily rights either as a foreigner here. So all of those dynamics are extra pressure points for a foreigner, but Japanese, uh, member who uh, who's being accused of a crime can be held in the same right way. It can be okay. held for 23 days for each crime and the that leverage of losing your job is a huge leverage point enormous ledger leverage point um and the there, there's another element too i mean carlos gone right we'll use a, a famous example yep. carlos gone ceo yep Former. exactly got <laughs> got accused of of in essence um misappropriation of of funds embezzlement basically is is what the the general uh, consensus was in the end um and he was held and then held you know they did that they did that whole routine you know where they they held him a couple of times on those 23 day rotations i think it was like two or three times him where they basically he finally actually had uh, his chance to to go to court to Enter a plea, in essence, and and also ask for bail. And bail is not very common here. Most people are not given the opportunity to get bail. Uh, here, you also don't have you don't have a right to have your lawyer present when you're questioned either. So it's quite common for law enforcement to not only leverage the 23 days, but use sleep deprivation and all different forms of coercion to get you to admit to or at least plea to something, so they can either. A, get a 100% conviction, or B, uh, save face for, for not having uh, presented something that wasn't, you know, locked down. And uh, prosecutors here won't move forward with things unless they actually feel like they have something that's you know, slam dunk.
0: I, I just can't help but think of what Salim said about his reaction had he been in prison and saw one of these mascots. As I look at this picture of Katakuri chan yeah... And I'll post it in the show notes. This guy would definitely deserve a beat
1: down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where are you in the mascot ranks that you're Katakuri-chan, right? You know, are you you well below like, you know, like a a Meiji milk, you know, like mascot (laughs) or like, you know, where, where's the, like, where's the hierarchy in mascots?
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Like, I think I'd prefer to be colon-chan over katakuri-chan.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both, both have negative connotations, but at least, and, and they're trying to spin it into a positive. Yeah, I'd agree with you there, colon-chan. Uh, although, having uh, gone through a colon examination in Japan, which uh, I pick up, I think, in episode 5, Clark's Procedure, I think we titled that episode. So, if anyone wants to know what it's like to go through a colon exam colonoscopy just listen to that episode
1: and (laughs) do they have to be patreon subscribers for that (laughs) yeah yeah
0: no that one is open that one does not have any uh i should maybe create a second one that gets a little more grisly but i don't think that that mascot sitting in the waiting room with me would have made me feel any better about getting a a colonoscopy (laughs) hang in there clark (laughs) Well, I think that's all we have time for today. Guys, thanks for joining me. You're early morning for me when we do these, but I don't mind. It's always great getting together. Uh, a little bit groggy in the morning, but um, happy to do this, and uh, thanks for joining me.
1: Likewise. Yep. Thanks for having Thank us Thank you.
0: All right. We'll have you back for sure.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Looking forward have a to it. good day. It. Yeah. Week, you weekend. Too. You too.